Todd, I'm glad that you're here today, and we are going to be in Romans chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles, um, and if you don't, don't worry, I've got it, I'm going to have it up on the screen, we're going to be in the last half of Romans chapter 2, because we are walking through Paul's letter uh, to the church in Rome, and so he's writing to believers who are in um, in Rome. They're at the imperial city of the Roman Empire. And there has been some question, I think, that, that the, the people, the Christians in Rome, the believers in Rome, they wondered why Paul, at this point in his ministry, had not come to see them as a church, because he had visited lots of churches, he'd written other letters, he'd been on these missionary journeys, but he hadn't come to see Rome. And so Paul writes, um, and he begins by saying, hey, listen, I do want to come see you. I've tried to come see you. I'm finally at the place where I've got one more errand to run over to Jerusalem, and then I'm headed your way, and I can't wait to get there because I want to preach the gospel to you. I, I want to be mutually benefited. I want to come and, and preach the gospel, which is, which is my gift, and, and I want to come and be encouraged by, uh, by your gifts because everybody in the church, every believer is, um, is gifted. Every believer has gifts for the body of Christ. So you can't wait to get there. And he's telling them about the gospel that he's going to bring to them and that this gospel has the power of God for salvation, that it is um, because in it, it reveals this gospel, this good news. It reveals the righteousness of God. It reveals this thing. It, it gives to us what we need to stand before God. It gives us the righteousness we need, the righteousness of God is what it gives us. And it comes to us, he says, only by faith. Faith from the beginning to the end. Faith to faith. And so he wants them to know before he gets there, hey, when I come and preach this gospel, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page, and that is that everybody needs the gospel. There's nobody that doesn't need the gospel. So certainly, and he's going to begin with the furthest out people as an example, because the wrath of God's coming, it's being revealed on everybody, and most, you know, says be revealed on people who are, who are not Jewish, who, who are God-haters, they don't know God, the people on the outside, um, they're without excuse, and so the gospel's going to be revealed, uh, the, the, um, the wrath of God's going to be revealed to them, so they need the gospel. But then he turns to his people who are reading this, the people that are in the church, and he says, and I don't want you to think you don't need the gospel. Because these people were Jewish, and they would say, you know what, we know God. In fact, we know God. He, we're, the, we're the Jewish line. We're the people that um, are the, known as the people of God. He gave us his law. We've got the Ten Commandments. We have what Moses wrote. Um, we have circumcision, you know, that was passed down from Abraham. I mean, we have all these things. We have all this privilege and Paul wants him to know, even though you have all those things, even though you grew up a Jew, even though you are a Jew by tradition, that gives you no more standing before God than does the, the person who is as far away from God as you can imagine. And so Paul wants to make sure they understand what their need is for the gospel. And so that's what he's been writing about in chapter 2. And I want to look at this last half of chapter 2 because he's going to speak specifically to the privileges that they have. He's going to speak to the 
um, the, 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 the practices that they're guilty of. And then he's going to talk to them about the position they have as they stand before God. So what I want to do, I'm going to read uh, beginning in verse 17 of Romans chapter 2. I'm going to read to the end, and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about it. Sound good? Okay, all right, great. <laughs> Didn't know, wasn't quite prepared if somebody said, no, 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 that doesn't sound good. Uh, don't know what I would have done, but anyways, here we go. Romans chapter 2, beginning verse 17. It says, but if you call yourself a Jew, and you rely on the law, and boast in God, and know his will, and approve what is excellent, because you're instructed from the law, and, and if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment and of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? When you say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You abhor idols. Do you not rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. If you would, would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to um, understand your word, that it would... It would um, it would jump off the page to us this morning, that your spirit would work in our heart and our mind to, to help us to understand what it is you revealed to Paul and that's been preserved for all these years. And Father, how it is, is relevant and life-giving to us today. And Father, through it, would you confront some of the things that we might believe? Would you expose those things that are untrue um, about what we believe and about who we are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you go back up to verse 17, we'll, we'll just sort of walk through it. But, but he says, you know, but, but if you call yourself a Jew. So likely what Paul's doing is he's answering this objection that would have been raised by the Jews. And so they would have said, Paul, hey, listen, you, you just lumped us up with the Gentiles, the, the, the pagans, the, the God-haters. But see, that's not true, Paul. I mean, the, we're God's chosen people. We have a special status with God because we're his chosen people. We have the law, we have this covenant sign of circumcision, and if nothing else, that in and of itself, Paul, gives us a standing with God, before God. We have a standing. We are his people. That's what they would say. That would be their objection. And you know, it's interesting that that objection... Um, that, that thing that Paul is going to address here in the last half of chapter 2, 
it, it's easy to say, okay, well, that was the Jews, and that was the first century. And, and certainly, you know, when Jesus came, he, he had all these confrontations with the religious leaders and, um, you know, seemed to be more kind and gracious to those people that were sinners and, and less tolerant of those that were, the, you know, the hypocritical Jewish leaders. And, and it's easy to go, well, that, yeah, that was back, that was back then. But the truth is, if we think about it, um, it is easy. It is easy for us to think this about ourselves, especially in where. If many of you have grown up in the South, it is very likely many of you grew up in the church, or around the church, or you know, going to the 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 churchy events, you know, or um, you, you know. But, but, Knowing that you know, is is you, you ought to not, and if you're going to eat something, you ought to, you ought to pray before you eat. And I mean, there's this thing in which we think, well, man, there must be something. That, I mean, we we must be okay. I mean, we we must be in better standing because at least we've grown up with these morals. At least we've grown up with these values. At least we've grown up God fearing people. I mean, we're in church on Sundays, and we know those people in the Northwest, they're not in church. I mean, you know, they play their NFL games at 10 a.m. in the morning. I mean, they're godless. <laughs> but not like us. I mean, we went to church. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, listen, I have these conversations periodically with people. I say, well, you know, so tell me about, tell me about when you were saved. And, and Sometimes I'll hear people say, maybe you've heard them say, maybe you've said this. Well, well I grew up in church. I, I, was, uh, I was baptized when I was a baby, or I was baptized when I was uh, 12 years old. I mean, I grew up in the church. I said, no, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, when, when were you saved? I mean, not when you were initiated into the church, not, not when you were, you know, not when you were counted a member of a church, I mean, but when were you when were you saved by, by God? You know, we, we are in danger of this ourselves. We're also in danger of it for our children, aren't we? I mean, that, that we believe. Now, listen, raising your children in church, is, this is a very good thing. I mean, I'm, I'm a strong advocate of that. But, but raising your, your children in church... Just because you, you bring them here on a Sunday that doesn't give them, entitle them, privilege them to any standing before God. I mean, what you hope is that they come here, they hear the gospel, they hear about that they have no hope as a sinner without the sacrifice of Jesus, and that by faith they would trust in who Jesus is for their salvation, and in that that they would be saved. But just coming to the church, or coming and growing up in the church, that, that doesn't help them at the end of the day. I know, I know parents that spend a lot of time trying to shield their children from all the bad things out there without ever 
nurturing or really confronting all the bad things in here. And so we think if we just keep them from the bad things out there, then they're going to be okay. And that's what they would have thought. This is what these people would have thought that Paul is writing to. So he's going to say some things that really, my guess is he will write these things in chapter 2 and they have never heard anybody say these kinds of things. And I have a feeling it would have really offended them. That they would have been offended by this truth. But Paul's argument is, is that righteousness, the righteousness that you need to stand before God does not come because of who you are or what you've done or who your parents are. It can only be received. This righteousness, this thing you need to stand before God can only be received by faith. And so he sets out to prove why their privilege, why the privilege they have does not make them righteous. And he says, listen, the law is, is of no advantage if you don't obey it. So, so you're counting on the law? Well, listen, it's no advantage to you if you don't obey it. And what he means is you don't obey it perfectly. It does you no good. And they, they believed they were privileged because they had the law. And they believed they also were, you know, a guide to the rest of the world. That, you know, it was a, it, they're supposed to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And that that was what their privilege was. So he said this, you, you called a Jew, the religious status of the covenant people. Literally, you know what, you know what the word um, Jew means, the name Jew means? It means praise to Yahweh. That their very name, that the very identity that they were supposed to adopt was praise God. But it had become this source of pride. It had produced a pride in them. You know how some people talk about where they graduated from? You know, sometimes you meet people, super obnoxious people, and it's like, hey, who are you? Well, you know, my name's uh, Bill, a Harvard grad. You know, or graduated from Harvard Law. It's like, oh, well, gosh, you're, you're super special. But the reality is, I mean, you know this, though. I mean, so there's something you expect of somebody that has graduated from Harvard Law, but it doesn't make them, I mean, listen, it, it doesn't guarantee anything about what kind of lawyer they are, and it doesn't immune them from being disbarred for malpractice. They can be lawyers who do shady things and can be convicted of malpractice just like any other lawyer. It doesn't protect them from anything. And then Paul says, you, re, you rely on the law. And, then, and that's what they would have said about themselves. So we, we, we have the law. It's the center of our life. It's our, it's our identity. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's the values that we build everything. You take the law away. You, you take away who we are. I mean, they would have said things like that. But really what it was, it was like a mascot. I mean, just think about a high school team that, you know, is called the Lions. And I'm not thinking about it. I mean, I just, the Bears. I, I don't care. It, something... Something ferocious, you know, sort of the king of the jungle, the, you know, you wouldn't want to meet, you know, I mean, you know, something like that. And yet the team goes out with all their roaring and they lose every single game. Me, might as well call them the hamsters. I mean, that would really, that would be a better mascot, you know. 
And they, they were wearing the law like, like it was their mascot. And then they would boast in God. And listen, it's good to boast in God. You can go to Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23, 24. It says, listen, you, you know, don't, don't boast in wisdom. Don't boast in riches. Don't boast in all But boast in God, in his love and his faithfulness and his justice. Yet their boasting was really more prideful arrogance about themselves. It was about them. It wasn't about God. Listen, we're in danger of that. People say often, well, I'm a Christian. And it is this prideful statement that says, you know, well, that says something about me. That's, I'm, I'm boasting in that. You, you know what it really means? When you say, so, you know, whether you say it again or not after this, I don't know. That's up to you. But, I mean, you know what you're saying when you say you're a Christian? I mean, literally, you know what that means? It means what you're saying. What, what you believe, if, if, it's, if it's true and it's genuine, what you're saying is, I'm a Christian. Which means, I have come to terms with the fact that I am a terrible, wretched human being capable of wickedness and evil and harm beyond anything I could possibly imagine. I am unsafe to myself and to others. And I cannot save myself. I am the least of all on this planet and I desperately need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. That's what we mean when we say that. It says this, this fifth thing, this fifth sort of privilege, they know His will and they approve What's excellent. And knowing God's will and approving what is excellent, what, what, the problem is it did not lead them in the direction it was meant to. It was meant to conform them to God's standard. Instead, what they did is they took that knowledge, they took those approvals, and, and they used that to judge people around them, not themselves. That's how he started chapter 2. He says, hey, you... You who judge other people, you don't have any excuse. And then he says they're instructed by the law. If you see that at the end of verse 18, they, they are, you are instructed from the law. The word instructed is, the, is this word, um, it's, the same, it's a word we get in the English, um, catechized or catechism. It means they learned it by, by rote memory. They, they didn't know it. I mean, they, they could recite it. But it wasn't in sight of them. And so in verses 19 through 20, the privilege the Jews were supposed to have is make them a blessing to the world. Paul wanted to expose that, that it hadn't done that. It hadn't made them a blessing. He says, you, you say you're a guide to the blind. So in a guide, you need a guide somewhere um, when you go to a place that you're unfamiliar with. You need somebody who's familiar. You need somebody that can navigate the way for you. It, a guide is somebody who tells people where to go. And a light in the darkness. They were to light the way. To tell people where to go. They were to light the way. An instructor of the foolish. To tell people what to do. An instructor is one that, you know, that carry, you know, you think about the old school mom, you know, it carries a whip and, you know, there's status and importance. But they tell people what to do. Where to go. To light the way. To tell them what to do. And it says, teacher of children. They're supposed to be masters and professors and to tell people what to know. And then it says this. Notice this at the end 
of verse 20. It says they had the embodiment of knowledge and truth. The word embodiment is this word in the Greek. It's called morphe, okay? And um, it, it's only used one other time in the New Testament that way, and it's 2 Timothy 3.5, and it says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. It, it, it means that which is external. So you have this law. It is the external revealed embodiment of knowledge and truth. You, you, can, you can go to it. You can refer to it. You can read it, but it is, it is outside of you. It has not made its way inside them. It is morphe, external. It is not metamorphe, which is transformative. Which is the word Paul used in, second, uh, in Romans chapter 12 when he says, Be transformed, be metamorphed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, what he's saying is, you wear it like a costume. You, 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 you play it like a part in a, in a play. You, you utilize it to your advantage. I mean, it's the platinum card that you love to flash. But the reality is you're broke and you can't pay the bill. That's what he's saying to him. And so Paul's going to say, hey, listen, you call yourself a Jew, but I call you a phony. I call you a hypocrite. It's like someone who puts on a, a uniform. So say you put on a baseball uniform, you know, the Texas Ranger uniform. You stand outside, you sign autographs because you're wearing a uniform and you like to feel important. But if you had to end up actually on the field, you, you, would, you would shame the team. You, you, you'd be an embarrassment on the field. You, you'd be revealed as an imposter. I mean, they're all dressed up. They want to sign the autographs. They want to be important. But they're not people you can put on the field. So the privilege of the Jews, and he's going to now, verse 21, he's going to expose the practice of the Jews. You, you teach others, you don't teach yourself. You preach against stealing, you steal. You say don't commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You abhor idols, you rob temples. Um, and, and so what he's saying is, is that, that while the Jews were privileged, they certainly had privilege. While they were placed in the world to be a blessing to the world, they failed to be keepers of the law. And instead of the blessings they were supposed to bring, they brought shame by blaspheming God's name. Verse 21, you tell people what to know, yet you know nothing. You, you preach against stealing, but you're a thief. You, you, you say, verse 22, don't commit adultery, but you embody unfaithfulness. You, you abhor idols. What he's indicting them there is he said, you've stolen all the trinkets to worship from everywhere. You, you love the world and its idols like everybody else. You're no different. You boast in the law, verse 23, but you dishonor God because you're a bag of wind. We might say it here, you're all hat but no cattle. In verse you know, blaspheming God, uh, verse 24, like in Isaiah's day. 
it's a quote from Isaiah. And Isaiah, you know, he says, listen, the, the, the blaspheming of God's name occurs through the, the people, meaning Assyria at the time. They were oppressing Israel. They were oppressing God's chosen people. Um, th these foreign powers were coming, and they were doing harm to God's people. And in that, they were making, uh, the, the, the people were saying things like, well, I thought they were supposed to have the one true God. And look, we, we've come in here and we've, we've sacked them without any resistance. So in other words, what he's saying is when you do all that, you're, you're just like Assyria. You're just like the enemies of Israel. You're, you're like the enemies of God. Maybe he's saying this, you're like the Wizard of Oz. You know that movie? Just celebrated the 50th year of the Wizard of Oz. You're hiding behind this curtain of smoke and distortion. You, 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 you're wanting people to believe something about you. You make believe what you are not and offer what you don't have. You sell hope, but you deliver despair. In your desire for people to see your glory, you blaspheme God. You, you might think about it as that their life was one long, extended selfie. Right? Anybody ever taken a selfie? The wrath of God's been going to be revealed against you. I mean, you know what a selfie is, right? It, it's me in my very best light, so that you, so you'll think something about me that most of the time, both you and I know is not true. It's, it's like your Christmas card that you send out with the picture of your family everybody's happy and loves each other and smiling and matching look I know it's cute but when I get those I go oh that's, that's great it's just not who they are but I mean that's great not who I am So he's going to say, not only are you a phony when it comes to the law, but let's talk about circumcision, if you will. So you remember last week there was this indictment, that the failure to live up to, to live out the law of God. It was given to him for, through Moses. Now he's going to say they failed to live up to or live out this covenant sign that was given to him through Abraham, this circumcision. That they viewed circumcision as their ticket that granted them access to God that this ticket that allowed them entry into relationship with God. I want to say this, and I want to say it carefully. Um, there, there, are, there are lots of people that believe the, something very similar about baptism. That have gone through the rite, R-I-T-E, of baptism. I've been dunked in the water. So I got my ticket. 
I got my, I got my thing. But when really we know that the baptism is just this outward sign of something that's gone on inside of you. So something that, that declares outwardly what has already taken place on the inside. So he says, listen, for circumcision is indeed a value if you obey the law. The, the, the covenantal sign of Abraham is, is, is a value if you keep the law of Moses perfectly like you're supposed to. But you don't. And since you don't keep the law, that essentially undoes your circumcision. That's what he's saying. So circumcision was something, if you were Jewish, male, Jewish male, eight days old, it's this surgical priestly procedure performed on the male Jewish children. Procedure had been passed down from uh, centuries from Abraham as a reminder of God's promise to Abraham and to his offspring. But here's the deal. You didn't circumcise yourself. It was done to you. It was an identity marker. And he's saying, so you've been circumcised, but you don't keep the law of Moses entrusted to you? It doesn't mean anything. It's of no spiritual value. It's just simply plastic surgery. Circumcision was meant to be the outward sign of something that was an inner reality. Circumcision of the heart. That's what mattered. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. That what they needed to be able to love God and to obey Him and to walk in His ways was for God to circumcise their hearts. And so Paul is saying, so to, to prove my point and to really tick you off, let me give you an example. If somebody who's not Jewish keeps the precepts of the law because it's been written on their heart and they they follow through, through with it. They, they fulfill the righteous requirements. And Paul's not saying that that, 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 that happens. But, but if somebody didn't have the law but followed the law that God had written in their heart, in sense, they would be regarded as circumcised. That the physical sign of circumcision doesn't make you right with God. At the same time, not having the physical sign of circumcision doesn't mean you're automatically excluded from the relationship of God. The issue is as your heart been changed has something gone on inside of you circumcision of the heart the outward symbol doesn't change your heart it's meant to be a symbol of a heart that's changed it's like a wedding ring a wedding ring doesn't make you married. It only symbolizes that you're married. A person can wear a wedding ring and yet live unfaithfully as though they're not married. At the same token, somebody could lose their wedding ring or they maybe never had one, but, but received marriage and took vows and, 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 um, and just had, not having a ring doesn't mean you're not married. Faithfulness to the marriage reveals that you're married. And you can do that without a ring. The ideal is that you'd, do, you'd live faithfully and you had have a ring. 
Dr. Barnhouse, old preacher of last generation, he, 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 uh, he writes it this way he, he, to help us understand. For he is not a Christian who is one outwardly, nor is that church membership which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Christian who is one inwardly, and church membership is that of the heart and the spirit, not on the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Dressing up doesn't make you a Jew any more than wearing a costume makes you a superhero. What you are on the inside is what you are. And circumcision happens in the heart, not by the letter, but by the Spirit. That's what he means at the end. So, so let me unpack that for just a minute, and then we'll, we'll pray. But, but what he means is, is, listen, I think there's a lot of people that, that view church or view what, what the church does. <clears throat> As the way to improve your life. The, the way to make you better. And, and that somehow the goal is, is that I, I do this enough and I get better enough and I change all my old ways and I take on some new ways and I, and I, I adopt the things. And so I'm, I'm, here to, I'm here to be better, to better myself. So, and, and to get better enough so that I'll be acceptable to God, so, so that I'll be one of those that, that's on the end with God. And, and, and what he means is that, that, that it doesn't happen by the letter. It can only happen by the Spirit. It means that, that actually that strategy, that is a terrible strategy because there's not anything you can do to make yourself better. I mean, so sometimes we think, well, the Bible is divided up. There's good guys and there's bad guys. No, I think better way to divide the Bible up is that there's bad people and there's Jesus. And you're not Jesus. So you know what you are? You're bad. In fact, you're, you're more bad than you would admit. Maybe, probably, the Bible's more bad than you know. And, and you can't improve that. Paul will talk later in Romans. He'll tell us about the old man and the new man. We're born as an old man. We're born as sons and daughters of Adam. You know, I mean, and we inherited all the things our father Adam, the very first man, his rebellion, his sin. We're born into the world as sinners. And this old man... This old man will never be improved. Your only hope is not the improvement of the old man. 
It's the death of the old man. And that you would be born again as a new man or new woman, a new creation. It, it is never the improvement of the old self. It is the birth of a new self, a, a, of a new creation being made new. And in this life, if you've been made new, listen, you, you're still you know, carrying around this body of flesh. You're still going to struggle with the presence of sin in your life. But there's no hope of you ever improving the old man. Your only hope is that the old man would be put to death. The new man would be breathed life into it. That's what he means, the letter. The letter doesn't save you. You can't, you can't follow the letter. You can't do the church stuff. You can't do the religious stuff and improve in any way that's meaningful. You have to be born of the Spirit. And being born of the Spirit is what Jesus talks to Nicodemus about, about being born again. That Paul will say the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, listen, you, you, it's sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The law is what God gave to Israel through Moses. The law, Paul will say in Romans 7, it's holy and it's righteous and it's good. but it can't save you. Revelation 3.20 doesn't make people innocent. It renders them guilty. In Romans 4, the law brings wrath. In Romans 5, it, 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 if you sin against the law, you, you, you're, you're, you're committing the, the, the fatal sin all over. In 5.20, the law came to increase the sin, the trespass. In Romans 7, Paul will say, the law deceived me and sin killed me. It's like the murder weapon in the hand of sin. The law comes to show you that you are not like God and you never will be. And it's holy and it's righteous and it's good and it shows us who God is. But our hope is not that we would read the Bible and we would improve. Our hope is that we would read God's Word and it would put us to death. So that the Spirit of God would, would breathe life into us. Christianity is not bettering yourself. It's coming to the end of yourself. And being born again. And that only happens by faith. It is trusting in the righteousness and the perfect law keeping of God's Son, Jesus. And then who by faith, when you trust Him, declares you righteous. That faith that faith counts you as righteous. You receive the righteousness you need to stand before God. Where are you this morning?
What are you trusting in? What are you hoping for as you think about the day that you'll stand before the one that created you? Paul's going to tell us next week, the week after, that, that, that your hope, the only chance you have is that you've trusted Jesus. You've come to the end of yourself. You've given up every, every way of self-improvement, even religious self-improvement. And realize your only hope is to be born again. You're born again by faith in Jesus. Believing he died for you, for your sins, for all that you're worthy of death for. And that you've been raised with him to new life. You've been born again. Clothed in all the beauty and perfection that he is. And if you've never done that, you can do that this morning. You don't have to wait till we get to Romans 3 to do it. You can do it today. Believe him. If you would, would you bow with me? Let's pray.